What's up? Good morning, everybody, and thank you for visiting um, or coming. If you're not a visitor, we're glad you all are here. I don't actually know what the announcements are, so I'm going to look behind me. Hey, visitor list. So we have a visitor list. If you're new and you want to get connected, we have our small groups. We're going to start doing a, um, a email, like announcement thing as well, coming in the near future. So that'll be good to put your info down. They should be on in clipboards on the back. On the back right, I believe. Next, we have a how to pay rent, resumes, jobs, interviews, and choosing a job. So we do our adulting workshops. Um, we've been a little slow to start them up, but we're starting them up again this year. Um, so this is a great opportunity for our soon-to-be graduates or our college graduates as well. Um, just a little info, we're going to be going over interview skills, resume skills, and things like that. This is gonna be at the ranch, the last weekend of January, January 27th at 1.15 to 2.15 after church. Um, yeah, so bring your copy of your resume. This will be hosted by Ryan and Vianette. There's a Facebook event on the DNC uh, Church Facebook page. If y'all want to RSVP to that, that'd be great. That's it. All right. So thank y'all. So we're going to be passing around the offering basket. So it's going to go across the aisles, not behind. So if David gets it, he's going to pass it to Adrienne, who will pass to Leslie, who will pass to Miriam, and then behind. Okay, cool. Keep going. Yeah, to Nicole, and then Ryan, and then Tong, and then so forth. All right, thank you, guys. And nope. There are none. <laughs> there are more. Okay, small groups. So our small groups are actually starting back up this week. Um, so there are some Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday small group. Um, if you are an adult in our ministry, which all of us are, but if you're an adult outside of college, um, we encourage you to join one of our small groups. Uh, if you need to be directed to one of those, just reach out to anybody that looks a little older maybe, and we can direct you to uh, who to get connected there. All right, thing, I think that's it, is that it? All right, thank you. So if you have any questions about small group, you can feel free to come and ask me, even though I don't look older, I know. I am on staff, so I just wanted to clarify that since I don't look old, that you can still ask me about small groups. So my name is Leslie Rowe, and I am on staff here at Denton North, it's always hard for me to introduce myself because I feel like it's kind of like sitting down at the dinner table and every time I do, saying, hi, my name's Leslie, you can call me mom if you want to, um, because you guys are kind of just my family, but I have to remind myself that there are people that are new or who are visiting and don't know who I am, um, and so I can introduce myself each time. Uh, we are going to start a new sermon series. Sermon? Wow, I'm going to have a hard time this morning. A sermon series on February the 10th on Romans. And uh, Brad and I wanted to take the first two Sundays to talk specifically about the gospel and about evangelism. And we've kind of connected that to the book of Romans. And so we're starting at the end of Romans. He preached out of Romans chapter 15 last week. And I'm going to preach out of Romans chapter 16 this week. Um, so that's just so you'll know, that's why we're starting at the end. 
Um, next week when we have winter camp, um, those of us that are not at winter camp are going to break up into men and women and have a discussion about dating and marriage. So that'll be next week. And then the following two weeks after winter camp, um, Brad and I are each going to take a Sunday to talk about our mission, vision, and values of the Denton North Church, and then we'll actually start our Romans uh, sermon series. So the title of my sermon this morning is The Gospel Community. And as we look in Romans chapter 16, we're going to see a big list of people that were members of the gospel community. Our church is a part of a larger community called the DFW Metro Family of Churches. And it's made up of the Northeast Church in Garland, the Northeast Church in Wiley, the Denton North Church, and the Arlington Church, and then all of our focus campuses. And as a community, we have a mission and a vision and some values. And so I'm just briefly going to touch on that in my introduction this morning because I think it's important to what we're talking about this morning. So our mission um, as a family of churches is to make and mature disciples to the glory of God. And that comes out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven on, and on earth. Therefore, because I've been given authority, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. So that's where our mission comes from. We take it from that. Our vision is to then be a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. So as a church family, both locally and in our family of churches, we strive to live out the one another passages so that the love of Christ will be seen by those who come into our community and that that will shine through in everything that we do. And then we have a set of 15 core values that kind of further define what it looks like to live out our mission and our vision. And so I chose just one of those core values to be the backdrop for our sermon this morning, for Romans chapter 16. And that is dynamic evangelism involving everyone. So we wanted to talk a little bit um, about evangelism. And there it is, that big, loaded, often dreaded word, evangelism. And sadly, in our society, evangelism does not conjure up images of love and service and humility like our Jesus lived. But that word rather conjures up images of arrogance and smugness and superiority. And I, for one, don't want to be associated with that definition of evangelism. Brian McLaren, in his book, More Ready Than You Realize, says that the greatest heresy and biggest detriment to spreading the good news is the idea that to be one of God's people means to be chosen for exclusive and elite privilege, not universal service and sacrifice. And so evangelism has gotten a bad name. It's gotten a bad rap. But really, evangelism is just the act of communicating the gospel. 
And I think that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 gives us a more accurate picture of what evangelism really is about. And it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So if God is making his appeal through me, that is a big challenge. That is a huge responsibility. And I would do well to give that some thought in how am I doing at that? How am I doing representing God to other people. So God gave us this ministry of reconciliation. He committed this message to us, and he made us his ambassadors. So that means we get to tell and show people the good news, that God wants a relationship with them, that he's made a way for that to happen through Christ. See, there's nothing in here that says we have the ministry of condemning and judging and scolding people. But we have the ministry of bringing them together with God. So there's no room for arrogance or smugness or superiority because we just get to tell people what we ourselves have found and tell them not, we have found this, and it's really good, but you can't have it. We get to say, we have found this God, and he's really good, and you can be a part too. We get to share the gospel with people. And it's not simply some transmission of information that we give people. It's a mysterious encounter between human beings and the Spirit of God in relationships. And that's something I want to be a part of. That's something I can buy into. That's something I can get excited about. So as we read through Romans 16 this morning, I want you to keep that value in your thoughts. Dynamic evangelism involving everyone with the definition of evangelism being sharing the good news with people. So not only are we going to start at the end of Romans this morning, I mean, yeah, at the end of Romans in chapter 16, but I'm actually going to start at the end of chapter 16 this morning. So I'm going to read, first of all, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. Sorry, I'm reading out of the NIV, and I wanted to read out of the RSV, so I'm going to start over. Now to him, this is 25 through 27, RSV, chapter 16 of Romans. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has kept secret for long ages but is now disclosed, and through the prophetic writings is made known to all nations. See, the NIV renders that to the Gentiles, and I like the RSV where it says to all nations because I think that captures more of what he was saying here. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. So the first thing I want us to see in Romans chapter 16 is that the gospel community knows that the good news is for all people and therefore all are involved in dynamic evangelism. And Brad touched on this last week. Um, this whole idea that the gospel is for all people. We've talked about that quite a bit as we've gone through our different sermon series. Um, But what this tells us is that the gospel is good news for Jews, Greeks, African, Asian, Mexican, American, black, white, brown, slave, free, wealthy, poor, men, women, blue collar, white collar, Republicans, Democrats, married, single, mainstream, unconventional, and I could go on and on and on. It's all people that the good news is for. No one group gets to own God. And for some strange reason, and I think it's very unintentional mostly, Christians act as if the Christian community owns God. The good news is for us, and it's found in our buildings and in our meetings and in our communities, and that's not what the good news is. The good news is that it's for everybody. It's what makes it good news. So I'm going to tell a story to help illustrate this just a little bit. Um, Some of you will know Cody McCarty. He's on Focus staff at Collin. And Hannah King, who works for Focus um, at the Garland Church Building. And so Cody called me probably five or six weeks ago and said, hey, do you know how to keep a secret? Like, would it bother you to know a secret? And I said, no, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at keeping secrets. And if I know it's a secret... I can keep it. If you don't tell me it's a secret, I have a really hard time because I like to share good news. And he said, okay, so I'm going to ask Hannah to marry me, and I need your help. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I said, when are you going to do this? And he said, New Year's Day. And so I'm already thinking, New Year's Day, you want me to help you propose to Hannah? And he said, yeah, I need you to get her to come to Denton at 8.30 that morning. I was like, 8.30 New Year's morning? What kind of story do you want me to come up with to get her up here for that? And so I said, yeah, I'll I'll help you. And so then I immediately started thinking, okay, how am I going to pull this off? And so I knew that Hannah and I have a relationship such that she probably would not say no to me about anything. But I didn't want her to be suspicious. And so I thought, why would Hannah think I wanted her to come at 8.30 on New Year's Day? And so then I thought, I'll tell her that I want us to pray together over the new year and ask for God's blessing over our year and commit some things to him. 
and she won't think that's weird. And so furthermore, I'll tell her that I need to do it early because I've got other things planned later in the day. And she loves me enough that she won't say no to that. And so, so it works perfectly. She totally buys into this. She's so excited about it. She comes up to my house at 8.30. I take her to Starbucks. We get coffee, and, I, and she gets an iced coffee, and I just let her. It's really cold outside that day. And he's going to propose at the park. But I just let her get her iced coffee. And so then I say, okay, Hannah, you know how much... I love to spend time with God at the park. And so that she wouldn't get suspicious, I said, so I've picked three parks that I want us to go to this morning and just spend some time praying together. And I said, the first one, I'm not even really sure of the name of it, but Kurt worked by it, and he and I used to go over there at lunch sometimes, so I'm just going to drive us there. So we start driving, and she kind of recognizes where we're going, and she says, oh, I know the name of that park. And so she says, Cody used to play um, hockey there. And I said, yeah, you know what? I know that because my son Austin used to go watch him play when he lived here in Denton. And so, yeah. And so we, we're just talking about all kinds of random things, really having a good time. And we pull into the parking lot and we park and Cody's standing right there. And so Cody starts walking over to the car and she goes, how weird, Cody's here. <laughs> And I said, I said, that is weird. And so I roll my window down. And I'm like, Cody, what are you doing here? And so he walks up to the car and he says, hey, Hannah, do you want to go for a walk? And she goes, no, I'm with Leslie. <laughs> and I said, I think you might want to go for a walk with him. And she sat there for a minute and she looked at me really confused. And then she went, you tricked me. <laughs> and so she got out, and they went on a walk, and they got engaged and everything. But here's the thing. The proposal was a mystery that was kept secret from Hannah. Like, she didn't know about it. And actually, a lot of her good friends and some of her family members didn't know about it either. So it wasn't good news to them because they didn't, you know, they didn't know. When it was first revealed to her, she was so confused. Like, she had no idea what was going on. She didn't want to get out of the car and go with Cody. Okay, so one of the things I want you to think about is, did the fact that Hannah was confused once the mystery was revealed to her make Cody angry? Was he like, forget it. I'm not even going to ask her. She doesn't know what's going on. Forget it. I am done with her. I gave her her chance. Was the fact that Hannah was confused, did that mean she didn't want to marry Cody? See, to go from what you think is one truth to a totally different truth, to have a secret revealed to you can be confusing. And it takes a bit to adjust to that, to understand that, to grab hold of that. Should Cody have expected Hannah to marry him without asking her? Should she just somehow have known that because we went to the park and saw Cody that he wanted her to marry him? No, he had to speak. He had to tell her that he wanted to marry her and he had to ask her if she wanted to marry him. See, once 
the mystery was revealed to her once she wasn't confused anymore and she understood it, once Cody asked her to marry him, she was filled with joy. And what do you think the first thing she wanted to do was? Tell people. The first thing she did, the first thing I got from her after I dropped her off was a picture of her and Cody, her with her ring and everything, and she's holding that up. And so once she knew and once other people started to know, then everyone was full of joy. She wanted to tell everyone. But here's where there's a big difference between Hannah's good news and the gospel. Just because the engagement was good news to Hannah didn't mean it was good news for everyone. Like, just because Hannah got engaged didn't mean everybody got engaged, you know? (laughs) And she can't offer that to anybody else. It's good news for her. But see, with the gospel, it's not like that. With the gospel, it's good news for every single person that hears it and accepts it. Every single person gets asked. Instead of saying, I have this great news I want to share with you, woohoo, be happy for me, but it's only for me, we get to say, I have this really good news. I have a relationship with the most wonderful, loving, powerful, crazy God, and you can too. That's not the way we communicate it most of the time, but that's the heart behind what we communicate about God to people. See, that's evangelism. That's communicating good news. And I think that as a gospel community, it's important for us to recognize that the good news is for all people, and that's the reason that all of us are involved in dynamic evangelism. Now let's go back and look at the first of Romans. I'm going to read 1 through 16 and 21 through 24. And we're going to get kind of a snapshot of what the gospel community looked like in that time. And so I'm leaving out the portion that is uh, 17 through 20, um, just because it doesn't fit in with the part about who these people are. It's kind of a separate sermon, standalone on its own. And so I'm going to read around it to get a snapshot of the people that are a part of the community. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or deaconess of the church of Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. 
Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Skipping down to 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. So I hope that you were impressed with my pronunciations of all of those names. <laughs> what I have learned about pronunciations in the Bible is you just take one and stick with it and be committed to it and act like you know what it should be and confidently read it out even though you're probably way off base. So one of the things I want to start with is just painting a little bit of a picture of what the Roman class looked like. And so Rome was divided into pretty distinct classes. And so you had your um, imperial class, like your royalty, if you will. You had your aristocracy, which was about 600 families that controlled the wealth of about 30 million. Let that sink in. About 600 families that controlled the wealth of about 30 million people. And then you had your slaves. Slaves had no rights, but it did vary by whether what social class your master was in as to how you might be treated. It also varied by the character of your master as to how you might be treated. And so you had slaves that were educated. They could read and write. You had slaves that were bought strictly for sexual pleasures, whether that be a young boy or whether that be a woman. And many times when they were past their usefulness in that area, they were turned out and abandoned, and many of them would starve to death or die of illness because of that. Um, so there was a wide range in the way that slaves were treated. And then you had like your artisans, your people who worked with their hands um, also, and life was really hard. Um, for the working class. There was not always enough food, and um, many of those classes had no resources or no rights to that food and depended upon their masters, if they were slaves, um, to make sure that they had food to eat. Also, children. Children were seen as just another mouth to feed, and so abortion was very prevalent, but also this idea of if they had actually had a child, that they would expose them, which basically meant once they were born, they took them outside, they put them down, and they left them there to die. And so it was a very um, difficult and cruel life. Slaves were not um, important enough to have names, and so most of them were just numbered when they were born. And so rather than having a name like Leslie, they would be called three, because they were the, the third one born. So just a few observations about these people that are mentioned here in Romans 16. But I want to start with a side note. 
So remember that Paul had never been to this church. He did not establish it, and he had never visited it. But notice how many names he knew. And notice that he knew some details about these people. And I think that's an important thing to notice um, because what I ask myself is how many names of people do I know at the Garland Church or at the Wiley Church or at the Arlington Church or at another church in Denton or at a church across the world in India? Do I know any names or any details about any of those people? What about at Denton North? Do I know the names of the people that I come together with each week, that I live life with? Do I know anything about them? See, even though Paul didn't start this church and had never been there, it was important to him to know what was going on there and to know the names and some things about the people that were a part of that community. And what it tells us is that church community is important, that it's not just about me that it's about the community that I worship with, and it's about the broader community and that all should be important. Okay, so let's look at Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or deaconess of the church, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So, Phoebe most likely was bringing Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Um, It was a huge trip to come from Corinth to Rome, and it was quite expensive. And the hostels where a lot of people would stay were also many of them brothels. And so it was very important for the church to extend hospitality to people so that they had a safe and good place to stay when they were traveling. And so basically, Paul's just saying here, this is our sister Phoebe. Please take her in and show hospitality like you do to people when they travel. She's worthy of you giving her whatever you can because she's taken care of so many of the other Christians in our community here. From what we know about her, she was a sister in Christ She was single, she was wealthy, she was a successful businesswoman, she was a servant of the church and very involved, and she was a big contributor, not only, like we would think of contributor as being to like the church. Their churches, remember, were house churches, and so it was much more personal. And so to be a contributor meant that for a lot of the members of that church community, she was providing for their needs. And she was providing for the community to be able to exist together. So that's Phoebe. Towards the end, it says that Tertius was the one writing. So he was the scribe that was writing for Paul. And for a moment, he takes time out to say, I'm writing this letter and I want to greet these people. Tertius meant three, so he was most likely a slave. Quartus meant four, so he was most likely a slave. And they were in the same general church community that Phoebe was a part of. Erastus, who is also mentioned more towards the end, again from the same area as the ones I've already mentioned, 
was um, a city treasurer or a public administrator, but he held a public office. And so he was thought of very highly. He had a lot of power. He was on a way different social stratus than Tertius and Quartus. And you can see just by those examples how the gospel penetrated all levels of society. It had slaves, public officials, prominent business owners, and all shared equal ground of fellowship in the church of Jesus Christ. All were together, in, it mentions, in Gaius' home, as he says he opened his home to the entire Christian community. And all class distinctions disappeared within the church, which should always be the case. And what a living example of good news that would have been to the people around them. Think about what validity and weight that gives to what Jesus said when he said, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love. When you've got people that in society could not mix or mingle together, would not be seen together, definitely would not be friendly to one another, living out life together, loving each other, granting one another equal status, that was a huge statement of love to the people around them. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. They had a church in their house. And interestingly enough, her name is usually mentioned before his name, which indicates that she was probably the one doing the teaching and he was helping her. Very unusual in that society. They risk their lives. Tryphena and Tryphosa... Their names indicate that they were born to a high class and did not have to work for their livelihood. And yet Paul says they worked hard for the Lord. So they did not have to work to support themselves, to feed themselves, but they worked hard in the kingdom. And then we have just some general descriptions. We see that people are described as co-workers in the Lord as hard workers in the kingdom, as having churches meet in their homes. Some of them have been prisoners for Christ, risk their lives for Christ. They give money to support the churches and the people in them. There's a woman who was mentioned as being a mother to Paul, like a mother to Paul. And in the gospel community, all have work to do. And all are involved in dynamic evangelism because that's the ultimate goal of the work that they're doing. They shared the good news as they went about life, making tents, managing the city treasury, doing their jobs, such as scribing a letter, completing business transactions, being a mother to people, having people in their homes. See, we don't start sharing the gospel by being religious. We start sharing the gospel by being human. Why are we so afraid to be human? God used Jesus' humanity to reach us. Can't he use our humanity to reach others? See, we start by being relational, by being neighborly, by being friendly, 
And all of us can do this, just like all of them did that in their way, in their situation, in their church, in their society. And through this, we can build spiritual friendships. And we can really listen to people, and we can respond not with some formula or cliche, but sincerely and thoughtfully in a way that expresses to them that they're valued and that they're worth taking seriously. That is part of spreading the gospel. In this way, we're able to tell them the good news by helping them take whatever the next step is for them. The Holy Spirit guides us in this. See, I think that we tend to be overly concerned about what the Holy Spirit is going to do or not do when we all meet together like we are right now. And I'm not saying that's not important. It is important, but I think that the bigger concern is what is the Holy Spirit going to do through us outside of this service? In the art galleries, in the grocery stores, in the banks, in the gyms, in the schools, in the parks, in the coffee shops, in the apartment buildings, in the buses, in the trains, in the office buildings, in the neighborhoods. One of my favorite quotes from the book I referenced earlier, More Ready Than You Realize, says, the Holy Spirit is either trying to get into the hearts of those who have not yet received him, or get out of the hearts of those who have. Get in to bless them, and get out to make them a blessing, expressing God's love and power and goodness and glory to everyone around. Everyone around. I've thought about that a lot in the last few weeks, and I found myself asking, am I letting the Spirit out to bless the people around me? Who are those people around me? And what is the work I need to be doing as part of the gospel community? See, we see in Romans 16 that the gospel, in the gospel community all have work to do, and all are involved in dynamic evangelism. And then my third point is that it's not only those outside of our church service that need to hear the gospel. We all need the good news. So I want you to do something just for a minute. I just want you to think, and you can jot this down on your, in your phone notes, you can write it down, or you can just think about it in your mind. But I want you to think of all the places you go regularly, where there are people. I want you to think about what those places are and who those people are. All right, so take just a minute to think about that. Okay, so what are some of those places? Where are some of the places you go regularly that you see people that you could communicate the good news to? Gym, job, coffee shop. Where else? School. House, what a great answer, your house. How many of you had my house on there? Oh, I'm so proud of you. Look at y'all. 
Okay, again, everybody needs to hear the good news. And the best place to share the good news is with the people you spend the most time with, the people you live with. And if you're not sharing good news with the people you live with, you're missing out on the biggest opportunity you've got. Whether that's your family, whether that's roommates, whether it's your spouse, no matter who you live with, that's your number one opportunity to share good news. Okay, what are some other places? Gas station, grocery store, social media, Sprouts, Whataburger. Okay, did anybody put your core or your small group? Okay, a few people did. Once again, everyone needs to hear the good news. If you aren't looking at your core or your small group as a place to share the good news, not the only place to share it, but as one of the places to share it, you need to think differently. Okay, what about here? Who put church on your list? Okay, I see a few people did. Guys, here's the thing. On any given Sunday morning, we have people sitting in our community with us that have not made up their mind about Jesus. And for some of them, it's because they don't know why Jesus is good news. For some of them, it's because they've heard a few things, but they have a lot of questions and don't know who to ask them of. For some of them, they had faith and something happened that stole it from them, and they're trying desperately to find a reason to believe again. But if we come in to this assembly on Sundays, assuming that there's no one here that needs to hear the good news, we miss a huge opportunity. For many people, they're going to come and be a part of our community way before they've made a decision to accept the gospel. And if we just let them come and be a part, and we never have spiritual conversation with them. We never share some of the questions we have. We never share what we're thinking about, the good news that's going on in our life, what Jesus is doing in our heart. Then they're going to have a really hard time making any progress growing, and so are we. We should not assume that all among us have heard and accepted the gospel. We need to talk to people. We need to listen to what their questions are. We need to give them responses that communicate value and that are, are thoughtful responses. We need to accept people. We need to study the Bible with them. We need to pray with them. That's what relationship is all about. And that's what sharing the good news is all about. It gives us the context to find out about Jesus. And all of us need the good news. Sometimes we know it, but we need to be reminded of it. Sometimes we know it, but we've wandered from it. Sometimes we know it, but we need to be challenged to grow in it. It's not only those outside the church community that need to hear the gospel. We all need the good news. And so just to um, summarize, 
going to go back through my notes again. In the gospel community, we know that the good news is for all people. In the gospel community, we all have work to do. And therefore, because of those two things, we are all involved in dynamic evangelism. And in the gospel community, we know that the good news is for we all need it. It's not just for those out there. It's for all of us. We all need the good news. As we take communion together this morning, let's remember how Jesus served even though he was Messiah, the Son of God. And let's celebrate the reconciliation we have to the Father through him. And when you look through Romans 16 and you look at all those names and you look at their gospel community, let that spur us on to be a gospel community that is known for its love, to be a gospel community where all people are equal, to be a gospel community that shares good news both with each other and with others, and a gospel community that values the questions of people and responds thoughtfully. I'm going to um, say a prayer and give a benediction. If you don't know what a benediction is, it's just the bestowing of a blessing. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to kind of combine the two things, and I'm going to pray and bestow a blessing on us as we go out to be a gospel community. God, we love you, and we love people because you loved people. And our love is a response to the truth that you first loved us. Thank you for giving us the ministry of reconciliation. What a privilege and what a responsibility. Thank you for allowing us to be your ambassadors, to spread the good news to people around us and among us. Make us a blessing to all those that you put in our path each day. As we take communion, let us be reminded of Jesus' love for us and his life and service to those around him. May your spirit empower us to love and serve our neighbors as Jesus did, welcoming them into our lives and into our homes, into our schedules, and into our hearts, so that through our love and service, they might experience Jesus' love and accept his lordship in their lives. Send us out with your power and with your grace and with your peace, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.